Welcome to Across the Margin of the Podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields. Thank you once again for joining us here. Today's guest is one I had just a wonderful conversation with, and I'm thrilled to share that with you. His name is Kareem Tapsh, an award-winning documentary filmmaker. Kareem is the co-director of the documentary Mucho Mucho Amor, The Legend of Walter Mercado, now streaming on Netflix. Walter Mercado is a mystifying figure, a wonderful wizard of a human being who, whether you realize it or not, you're probably familiar with. He was one of the most influential and important astrologers in Latin America who eventually received worldwide acclaim and attention. Kareem's film about Walter is outstanding. It brings you intimately into Walter's life. It does a deep dive into his upbringing and career and truly highlights what an absolute phenomenon he was, as is exemplified by a meeting featured in the documentary with Lynn manuel Miranda, where Lynn was absolutely overcome with emotion when meeting Walter. Mucho Mucho More is truly a special film, not just because of the thorough examination of the legend's life, but because it acts as a celebration of eccentricness and of our beautiful differences as humans. And this is where Kareem's filmmaking and storytelling truly shine, as his work continuously focuses on the often ignored parts of society, that which isn't always conventionally beautiful, widely accepted, or deemed normal. Kareem's work has been celebrated at Sundance. His short film, Dolphin Lover, won the Best Documentary Prize at the LA Film Festival, and Mucho Mucho Amor has received wide critical acclaim. You really have to check it out. Beyond being a filmmaker, Kareem is the founder, owner, and operator of O Cinema, a theater in Miami dedicated to first-run independent foreign art and family films. In this interview, you will hear Kareem and I talk about how he realized there was a lacking of art house theaters in Miami, and he decided to do something about it, which I find incredibly inspiring. We also talk about his upbringing and how he was inspired to become a storyteller, his very controversial film, Dolphin Lover. And we really explore the amazing life of Walter Mercado a great deal and the crafting of the documentary, Mucho Mucho Amor. I love this conversation. I am sure you will too. So here is my interview with Kareem Tapsh. Cross the margin. Cross the margin. podcast i've really been enjoying um kind of digging into your work uh just the last couple of weeks really really cool eclectic mix of stuff really really awesome so thanks for uh, taking Thank the you. time to talk about it no my pleasure are you kidding me somebody uh, wants to talk to me about my work i'm always talking <laughs> all in um <laughs> so I've, i have a bunch of questions about that work um and the larger than life uh, people and animals that um you shine a light yeah. on but uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, your background and um, just kind of how you came to be um, who you are. But uh, when did you first kind of realize storytelling or the arts was um, your calling? You know, I think I knew. Um, I think I knew since I was a kid. To be really honest with okay. you, mm-hmm. uh, I, I knew that I always wanted to be a, a filmmaker. Um, but uh, I had, uh, you know, I had the added challenge of being uh, a couple of challenges. One is being the child of immigrants mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, 
you know, basically there are two career paths that were acceptable, which was a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> when I said I want to be a filmmaker, you know, the reaction was like, well, how are you going to eat? You know, mm-hmm. with this idea that like, <laughs> but don't be preposterous. You got to get a real job. Um, uh, and my parents were, you know, were, were wonderful, yeah, but sure. it was certainly this, uh, this wasn't something that was uh, on for them a real life path. Yeah, um, they, they obviously wanted the best for you. It just they didn't see that 100%. this could happen. Yeah, of course. Right, right, right. You know, and, 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 and you know, we were, uh, we were working, you know, working class uh, family. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, so um, arts wasn't really on the radar for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, growing up, you know, we, I never went as a child to a museum or I don't think I ever saw a theater show. Uh, we did go to the movies. Um uh, uh, on occasion, mostly because uh, at one point my mom worked uh, for a local newspaper who would like co-host screenings and we'd get passes to go. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but the arts were really a part of our, uh, our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, um, growing up in, in Miami, in Florida, um, in, um, in, in, in this kind of household, it, you know, it, it didn't seem to be something that I could do for all of these reasons I mentioned, mm-hmm. but it was still something that fascinated me. And I think that my, I really kind of fell in love with film and storytelling thanks to PBS. Oh, wow. Um, because, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been a PBS junkie since I was a child and I still am. Um, you and me both. But, oh man, it's, I mean, Best. it's still my favorite yes. thing. It's still my favorite thing. Absolutely. Uh, it's actually my default, uh, channel on television, uh, I don't have any cable. I only have like local TV and then obviously like the apps and stuff. But it's always like turned to like PBS and, and create their like, I call it their like cheap HDTV version, but I enjoy it much more. Um, but so, you know, at, uh, when I was a kid, the, the local PBS, South Florida PBS had um, something called the Movies at Two. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, old movies that would broadcast every afternoon at 2 p.m. And so Wednesdays, uh, generally speaking, movies would still be playing by the time I got home from school and I'd catch the last half an hour or 40 minutes of it. And on Wednesdays, which is early release day, I would make it home in time to be able to see all of the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it was uh, the Maltese Falcon or Casablanca, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it was kind of more obscure films that even today, some that I don't remember. Um, but, you know, often they were in black and white and they were from a different era. And it just stood out at me as such a contrast from the world I was living in physically mm-hmm. and, you know, what was around, but also just the media that I was consuming as, you know, a kid, uh, or that well, I should say more accurately that, uh, everyone around me was consuming. Right. So it really stuck with me and, um, and fascinated me. And aside from the movies, it was also like, I, that's where I fell in love with like, uh, British comedy and, uh, and British dramas and, uh, a, a big Anglophile. Uh, and that's all was all thanks to CBS. And I think that, you know, that combination just kind of planted the seed in my mind. Well, why can't I do that? And, um, and so it always remained in the back of my mind. Uh, but again, this challenge of being, uh, the kid of the migratory, like, no, you need to get a job that's going to make your life better than what we've had. And that's why we sacrifice. And, um, so I didn't go a direct path into, into cinema. I, I, I stuck around the idea of medicine for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a medical magnet in high school that was, uh, you know, putting you on a career path into medicine. 
Uh, I was uh, assassinated with medicine. I still am, actually. Mm. Uh, but uh, I was a very bad student. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard stuff, man. It's really I was a bad student in general, yeah. though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Yep. To be fair. I was just, I hated school. Uh, the experience of, like, class and stuff was, I was not one of those people. Like, I wanted to learn on my own terms. Yeah. yeah. Um, we all and, uh, yeah, 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the idea that like, we had to sit down and, uh, and, and, and do it this way did it never vibe with me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a really long answer, but you know, I, I, when I started after I graduated high school and I started, uh, some community college, I jumped around doing things. The only things that were interesting to me were journalism mm-hmm. and, um, and the art theater, actually a couple of theater courses. Uh, but even then I think I, I, I realized that journalism wasn't going to be the right kind of long-term path for me. Yeah. And, uh, and, and theater, I certainly had no on the stage, uh, talent. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> you need to be behind, uh, behind the, behind the scenes in some ways. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. This is a space that's meant for behind the camera. Not <laughs> we we all got to know our strengths and be honest with ourselves. It's, it, <laughs> right. it, it helps when you're able to do that. It does. It does. It, it makes those disappointments much smaller. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yep. but no, I was, I was able, uh, you know, I, I just kind of at, at that point just realized that, okay, you know, even school in general was it for me. And so I, I dropped out of college, which was not a, um, Ooh, they got not, be not happy. A, yeah. <laughs> they were happy about this one. Not at all. You yep. know, the funny thing is I always joke about, so I'm the middle, uh, child. I have an older yep. brother and a younger uh, middle of three boys. Yep. And so my older, older brother, oh, are you? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you. You know all the fucking drama. I, uh, yep, yep. I know the whole dynamic. Uh, my older brother was like the jock, mm-hmm. but also the jock who got in trouble because he was always doing something crazy. Mm-hmm. And my younger brother was kind of dopey for a really long time and uh, and then started get, getting in trouble. Yeah. And I was actually the good kid. I never said, I, I didn't curse until like I was 13 years old. I didn't say one curse word and then I said all of them at once. <laughs> um I was really well behaved. I was the studious one. Uh, and, and I was the smart one. And I always joke is that my parents uh, pinned all of their hopes and dreams on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, flash forward, both of my brothers have master's degrees. Oh, now. wow. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the college dropout who works in the arts. Yes. So really, you got to question yourself who was who really were the brighter two. <laughs> um, no, but you all had your own callings, your own paths, and I'm well. I'm curious now what um, um, and I am making an assumption they're they're still with us. But I mean, it, it, now that you've made some films and put some work out there that they can see, I mean, what do they think at this point? Um, so I think you know my brother. Yeah, my brothers are really my brothers are really into it and very proud mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, excited. I don't think um, my parents. Uh, my dad passed away about seven or eight years ago. So he actually okay, never saw sorry. me make any any film. Mm. Oh, thank you. He never got to see me make any film. But uh, my mom did see uh, seen my features. I don't think she's seen any of the shorts okay. before. Mm-hmm. But she's seen both of the features, and and you know she's proud and supportive. But I also don't think that they grasp what it is yeah. entirely either. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it doesn't, you know what what making movies is or how that works or how I do it and I'm able yeah. to do it. None of that really kind of connects. But, you know, she's happy for me and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and thrilled for that. 
Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I can understand. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a world not everyone can really comprehend, and, and you know, it's just, it's, it makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm curious though, because, um, you know, born and raised in Miami, Miami seems to be like such a kind of part of your story. And before we get into some of the stories you're talking about, um, I read at one point that you were a bit despondent about the culture or lack thereof in Miami, and decided to do something about it, which is so cool. Um, and that something was to bring first-run independent art films to Miami, and then you found it. Uh, I think it's called O Cinema. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, what's, um, what? Uh, can you speak a little bit about the birthing of uh, this this theater and just the 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 want to bring art house films to Miami? Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think it's, it's kind of also interconnected to like my own storytelling and filmmaking. Um, you know, eventually I did, I did freelance writing for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like that was a talent that I did have. I, I, I can admit though it's one that didn't pay, uh, very well. So I had to have other jobs as well, but eventually that led me to work in, uh, in local film festivals. I, I started as a volunteer for the local gay and lesbian film festival mm-hmm. and eventually became like a seasonal part-time worker there. Uh, until I, uh, you know, I started as a, a volunteer and I ended up as a co-director of the festival like eight years later. And so that was really my foray awesome. into uh, into a, prof- a professional uh, uh, a career in film on the exhibition side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but while there, you know, I realized that there's a lot of films that uh, the festival didn't program because they weren't necessarily LGBT specific, mm-hmm. and that was obviously the uh, the uh, kind of programming we're doing. But then I would come across all these movies, or I'd read about all these movies in the trades or in, in, in reviews. And they weren't coming to South Florida. They yeah. weren't coming to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I did grow up really frustrated with culture in Miami. I also grew up in, the, in like, the working class uh, uh, suburbs. Uh, and so it was a uh, poor working class suburb. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wasn't as connected to culture as it was in other parts of the city. Miami is a, a place where you need a car yep. to get around. And until I had a car, that world didn't open up for me. It was around the same time my dad uh, started having uh, severe heart disease, and I was like, okay, I should stay. I wanted to go to New York. I should stay here. And then that led to these uh, jobs at the film festivals. And, and, and so in there, discovering that there was all these movies that didn't come to, um, to Miami, I'm like, well, what can I do about it? And so uh, one of my colleagues at the festival was a woman named Vivian Martel, and Vivian and I would often go and have lunch together, which was to the chagrin of our boss at the time. <laughs> um, and... Um, and we talked about like what we could do. And said, like, you know, we should open a movie theater. And uh, which was crazy because we had never done that. Vivian uh, had run in, um, independent uh, and experimental art spaces in Miami. She had two two spaces, Lab Six and uh, I can't remember what the other one was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she had run so she had run physical spaces that were kind of like uh, one, which is like a live work exhibit space and the other one was more like an incubator space. So she had the experience of like day-to-day physical space. And I had uh, the experience at that point uh, uh, from the festival end of how to find the films, how to connect to the films, and how to eventually show the films. Uh, and so we had this as a path idea. And, you know, I think we thought it was going to be like, you know, a bed sheet and folding chairs uh, and a projector in the back of a garage somewhere. Um but thankfully, uh, the Knight Foundation, uh, based in Miami, is the largest funder in the Southeast. Uh, they did this big investment in the arts, and they wanted to invest in um, transformative art projects in South Florida. And so we applied for uh, a grant in this first year of their challenge, 
and we got a four hundred thousand dollar matching grant to start cool. uh, what is now O Cinema, mm-hmm. and um, so our specialty has been showing foreign art, indie films, really things that you know weren't existing um, in a robust way yeah. in uh, in Miami. Yeah. Uh, and so next year we next year ten years since we awesome. we've done it. In that time, we you know we, we grew to at one point we were running three different locations in the city. Uh, of course, real estate reared its ugly head, and mm. uh, so now we're only down to running one space. But we're we've been uh, part of a long term capital campaign to buy our own space. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's still in the works. I think we'll have a, a permanent oak cinema at some point. That's awesome. Uh, a, that, rather a permanent multi screen home, I should say. That's um, fantastic. I just the idea. I mean. I can't even imagine what I would do without the art house um, cinemas in any of the towns I've lived in. And I just, I'm inspired by the idea of like anyone who looks around them in their town or in their community and looks at what it's lacking. And instead of waiting for it or even leaving, just like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And that's, that's kind of the story there, which is really cool. So you're obviously um, a champion of film culture. Uh, and I've seen this quote that uh, I'm a champion of film culture and also an expert popcorn maker. What's your secret there? My secret is, <laughs> is that when we opened the theater, it was only Vivian and I doing all the jobs. So that's what I was thinking. Day. Yeah, I was, I, I was, I was <laughs> imagining you like selling tickets, get you know, and, and you know, working nights, vetting all the films, and doing that, and then you know. All, uh, all That's hundred percent true. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent true. Yeah. I mean, when we opened our doors, it's funny. We used to joke, even if it means a bed sheet and folding chairs in the garage. Mm-hmm. What we started was not too far from that. <laughs> we, so, when we first opened the doors to the theater, uh, everything was being exhibited on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It was in a converted warehouse, uh, and for the first six months, it was folding chairs on the uh, in in a room. Uh, and, and our tickets were like carnival tickets that we sold in the door and we made the popcorn and we served the drinks and, uh, we started the movie and we ran the lights and we cleaned the theater at the end of the night and we cleaned the bathrooms and we booked all the films and we did it all, did it all, Vivian and I. And then, uh, really thankfully our team grows slowly, slowly but surely it grew. And then we brought on, uh. Matt Walter uh, and uh, Helen Bosch mm-hmm. and, uh, and and now Rick uh, Debara is on our team and all of those folks. You know, we always have been a small thing, a small operation, and that was always the goal. We never wanted like we didn't have aspirations to be this huge institution with multiple uh, people and departments and large overhead. Um, the great thing is is that by doing what we've always done, staying true to it, we we keep have been able to keep iterating and improving and you know like you know. Uh, our theaters are like industry standard with DCP and all, and real theater seats and real sound and all that. And that's, you know, that came little by little, mm-hmm. but we've grown into an institution in the community regardless. Cause I think that we always paid both attention to what we were showing on the screen and the conversations we're having around it. So, so my popcorn making skills absolutely started from being the guy who started it. Nice. Nice. Just getting your hands dirty or getting your hands buttery. That's right. I should say. Um, <laughs> that's right. So there is, um, there's a common theme that I'm seeing in, in a lot of your work, and it kind of feels weird even using the word common, but um, your documentaries focus on oft-ignored um, parts of society, which I think is fantastic. Can you um, talk a little bit about how and why you key in on some of uh, you know, the, the stories or, or people that you do? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, you know, I think I've always been fascinated with outsiders because in large ways I always considered myself one. Yep. You know, I was growing up 
in uh, in Miami, and certainly being the child of immigrants in Miami is not uncommon. This is an immigrant majority mm-hmm. city, um, but uh, I was a child of immigrants. Uh, I was uh, a fat kid. I was a queer kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was uh, I would say a slight, you know, slightly effeminate kid and awkward. You know, I I, I didn't like what or was as interested in all the things that the people around me was, mm-hmm. whether it was like, you know, other boys that were into girls or everybody else that was into like what was on TV in the nineties. And like, it's not to say that I didn't watch, you know, uh, living single or, uh, Melrose place or whatnot. Um, but I also was like fascinated by all these other things from generations older than me. You know, I was listening to Sinatra when mm-hmm. I was 12 you know, I was watching these 70s sitcoms every night mm-hmm. from, from the UK at, at 13. And so all of that kind of pulled me away from, like, the mainstream culture that I should have been a part of. And, um, and it, you know, I, 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 it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like that far off, right? Like, I wasn't the, the one goth kid in the corner. Mm-hmm. And, but I was considerably different than very than most people and uh so i always did feel like an outsider yeah and even within my community like you know even within like the queer community when i came out you know being this kind of like being the the fat guy the fat like immigrant kid or latino kid Mm -hmm. uh that you know that that stood out from that community too so I think that that outsider perspective uh and i don't necessarily feel like well now i should add it yeah Maybe because I maybe because throughout the years I've just learned how to find my community and mm. uh, and and uh, been more comfortable in my skin that I yeah. uh, navigate through different communities with confidence. Yep. But uh, I think that being that kid, being that young person, um, you know, it, it it leaves a mark on you. And so as I got older, um, the people that I would look to and really kind of was fascinated by and admired were those who kind of, you know, danced to the beat of their own drum mm. and were kind of unabashedly themselves, regardless of what society at large might think of them. Yep. And um, and that fascinated me because I think that, like, you know, I think so often folks are more interested in othering others, you know, yeah. like they're more interested in shoving you out of the way or pointing and laughing mm. or not only putting you in the cage, but poking you once you're in the cage. Mm-hmm. So to think that, that people would take, would be, would valiantly take that road less traveled and say, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. And you can like it or not like it, regardless of all the, the shit that comes with it, for lack of a better term. Yep. Um, uh, has always fascinated me and I, I've always admired those folks. And, um, and I think as now as I get older and uh, further into my filmmaking career, I think uh, I, what I realize is that there's a lot of us weirdos. Yeah. There's a lot of us outsiders. Yep. There's a lot. There's a lot of us who felt like I felt, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we're having a moment where, uh, you know, we we not only want to be recognized, we want to celebrate our differences. Yep. I think I think the confidence that I see in people who are just completely okay with being themselves and just shining you know shining um their true essence is completely intoxicating which is it's just it's awesome just do you be you also the stories that you tell of these outsiders people that um have felt different like you were describing all their life 
seeing these people gives gives you you know it you know it, relatability. There's people out there like me, or there's people out there that are you know different in this other way. Even in um, mucho mucho more, I can't exactly think of who said it, but at one point someone said, "Growing up as a queer boy and watching Walter, it gave me hope." And that's I mean that's the thing that's telling stories of. Um, you know, different stories really does for people. It's, it's a gift. Um, so let's move into Mucho Mucho More, which is so, the legend of Walter Mikado, which is so, so good. I, was, I, I found it fascinating. Um, why did you want Thank to tell uh, Walter's story? Well, it's a hell of a story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. y- you know, it's, it's, a hell of, <laughs> it's a hell of a story, and yep. Walter is such a fascinating he really is. person. I mean, for me... And for my co-director, Christina Costantini, and, and our producer, Alex Romero, um, we, you know, we all came, we all connected to it in different ways mm-hmm. and for different reasons. Uh, but we all kind of came to the story, the wanting to tell the story. Like, at the same time, we decided that that's what we want to do. You know, my, we all have a shared memory, which is of Walter being in our home since childhood. I mean, the reality is that I don't, I don't recall a time when Walter wasn't in my life. Or uh, when I wasn't in his universe, mm-hmm. it was Walter's universe, and so we were in it. Um, he was just a daily presence on our TV set, and um, and he was, you know, revered and loved and um, and famous. And so I, you know, at, at first I knew he was different. Like I had never seen anyone who looked like that or sounded like that or talked about those things. Not that I, I even knew what the fuck they were as a kid. Like I had no idea what he was talking about. But I knew he had the power to like mesmerize our family quiet into watching it. And that, you know, in a Latino household, that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that anyone on TV had the power to shut everybody up. <laughs> um, but then as I got older, like I started realizing that he was different in a way that maybe I was different. And I don't think I knew what, what being gay or queer was, mm-hmm. but I knew that I was just not like everybody around. And, um, and I knew that somehow Walter was also not like everybody else. I mean, he was yeah. obviously not like everybody <laughs> yeah. else, right? Like yep. um, mine was maybe more internalized. But his was very out there and in, you know, in your face. And he was different. Mm-hmm. It was very overt, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think I started. There was a simpatico that developed there, and like I could identify with him. And so, if Walter was, I mean, first of all, he was seemingly successful. He seemingly was rich mm-hmm. and happy. And so omnipresent in our culture and our society, and probably most important, he was loved. And yeah. he was loved by the society and the culture, uh, but he was also loved by my family. Mm-hmm. So if Walter could be being so different, so out there, be all of those things, most importantly being loved, uh, then maybe I could be loved too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're a young queer person, or I would just, you know, I would go as far as saying, when you're a young person who feels different mm-hmm. uh when you see somebody who is you know l- like you and has managed to to get all the things that you think you'd never get uh love being the most important one it's profoundly impactful mm. and so that left an imprint on my mind and also the reality is that i had never seen anyone that looked like walter since then you know he's yeah. often compared to like liberace yep uh, which was not really, uh, you know, Liberace died in like 86, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. So he was not, um, and even at that point, Liberace was not an omnipresent uh, TV personality. Mm-hmm. 
And when he was an omnipresent TV personality, it was like in the 50s and early 60s, uh, he, was, he was much more toned down then. It was before he kind of became the Liberace with the jewels in the case. Walter showed up on TV from, like that from day one in like a machista, conservative um, culture like Latino culture could be. So he was really, really groundbreaking. And all of that stayed in the back of my mind um, and how unlikely of a celebrity he was, you know, like it, that, that person doesn't become famous, right? Yeah. Like it, it, in any other scenario, in any other place, that person did not become famous. And yet here he becomes hugely famous. So uh, it stayed in the back of my mind. And, you know, interestingly enough, it was also in the mind of, uh, of uh, my co- eventual co-director, Christina mm-hmm. Cossini and, and Alex Romero. And so Walter is actually what brought the three of us together uh, in making this project. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, he was so loved, and I didn't even realize how big he was just with my background. It just it's it's wild. Presidential readings, the how many people were listening and watching. He was a rock star, but um, it's it is wild thinking about. And you just kind of you know touched on it a little bit, but it's discussed in the film how homophobic the Latin community can be, and you know it's wild that he was so beloved with that in mind. Was it, was it affecting him still? Do you think, or was it something that it was, I'm, I'm a little confused of how he, you know, that didn't affect him. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So I think that's a really, it's a very valid question. Um, I think it was a couple of things. Okay. One is that, um, Walter was very, when he was theatrical, mm-hmm. like when he came on the TV in Spanish language TV, no one had ever seen anyone that looked like him. It was just like he was so out there. He and he was he looked so different, and what he was talking about was so different that um, you know it was almost like, well, of course Walter looks this way and acts this way. He's not from here. He's you know he's from another planet. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know the other part of that is that he was talking about things um, that connected to you, right? Like. That, that meant something to you, mm-hmm. that affected you. Mm-hmm. And they were mostly an overwhelmingly positive thing. So I think that because of that, he got a pass from people who maybe you know, looked the other way. Um, you know, he was very popular with grandmas, you know, uh, and older folks uh, or folks who actually got older. Uh, and it's not surprising if you look at like some of the imagery in like, art and film back in the day. I mean, the kind of the, the leading man was often kind of like the, what we would, you know, like the fancy prince. Like if you look at those images of like uh, old school films and even old school art, you'll see like the prince and the tights and the robe. Mm-hmm. And that was like, an, that was an image of beauty. And Walter tapped into that. Um, but I also think because, uh, because of his, his overwhelmingly positive message, those other parts of him were, were ignored. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think to a certain extent that he never addressed it head on yeah. and that helped give him some more coverage, yep. but he was always bravely representing himself. Um, and, um, and I think that that had a lot to do with it. Now, I don't think, and as we see in the film, like, I don't think that, that made, he was completely above the fray mm-hmm. because as, as you see in the doc, uh, you know, there were folks who mocked him. There were folks who made remarks or who parodied him in a way that we would today think of as homophobic. But Walter 
didn't let that bother him. And and he would always say that the hate that that sure he knew that there were haters, but there was always more people that loved him mm-hmm. than hated him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one hundred percent correct. Yeah, I think that there were more people that were really um, appreciative of what he brought, which was overwhelming positivity. It, it uh, was it was incredible how just positive he was. I mean, that's that was something a big segment of it was how he never said anything negative, and I just kept thinking how nice that would be kind of in the um you know culture that's going on right now we could use some of walter's positivity out there that's and i see why people were so drawn to that and drawn to his essence it's just he's such a remarkable figure and towards the conclude of your film he he got to have what i thought was one of the most beautiful kind of ends to his story i mean he had um i always speak on when when people pass and you go to funerals you know it's it's, it's a shame that they weren't hearing the things that were said about them then, you know, the idea of kind of like a, a, a living celebration of someone like a living funeral is something I always, I'm, I'm, you know, think about, but he kind of had that at the end, he had that big moment at his art, um, that, that, uh, art show, um, with, that was celebrating him and he'd passed soon afterwards. He kind of got to have this, uh, this culmination moment where, you know, he kind of got to think about everything he's done and everyone's there celebrating his entire life. And I just, I, I'm so curious, what was it like to be a part of that and to see kind of him experience that? That was so amazing. Yeah, it really was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, that was never lost on us. What a special moment that yeah. that was. Um, and, you know, there's, there's an expression um, that's often used, uh, most often used in the African-American community, which is, you know, give me my flowers when I'm alive. Yeah. And the idea that's that, you know, so, to, yep. yeah, totally. And, and, and I always loved that expression because I totally believe uh, in it a hundred percent. And so that was, I, you know, that was probably the most magical of the experiences with Walter was being able to see that because he had been out of the public eye for probably about a decade. Um, you know, he, of course, you know, he would go out in Puerto Rico. We went out with him in Puerto Rico a few times and he was, you know, he was recognized instantly in the streets and people would stop or look or ask him for a picture. Of, and so, you know, he had a little bit of that, but he, you know, it was a, it was a different version of, of that, uh, of what the peak of his fame was. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and he would never, you know, Walter kind of had this great, like Norma Desmond quality to him that's larger than life where he never, but his view of the world, his star never diminished. And he wasn't away from the cameras. He was just taking a break. Um, but I think inside, he he knew that his life was very different, and that um, and he missed it because I think that once you get that, you missed it. I mean, his niece always says that you know the cameras and the lights and um, and and the hullabaloo that that all gave him energy. But more than anything, his audience and his public gave him most energy. Yep. Um, and, um, so being able, I'm sorry, it's addicting. I'm sure like just that, it, that love and that, that, that all that fame that comes with fame, it's gotta be addicting. Yeah. I, and I think, I really think it was, um, so, uh, you know, and we were with, you know, we were with Walter for about a year and a half or a little over a year and a half before the, the big event mm-hmm. in, uh, in Miami. And so, and he had, he had, was having health issues as you see in the film. He's having mobility issues. He was, he was, you know, I, I think we knew that he was in, he was fading and he was kind of physically fading quickly. Um, so being able to be, 
with him in this moment and see 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 him see himself reflected in everyone and mm-hmm. and receive that love it was really it was really astounding it was un, you know it was unlike anything you could you could expect i mean the event was supposed to have 200 people at it 600 people showed up wow. um and and uh and it was just i mean it was jam-packed and walter was in rough shape before that i mean um I think that, you know, there's actually a, 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 there's an interview in the film, or rather, we're filming him being interviewed by the, uh, the amazing journalist, Jorge Ramos. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, a day or two before that event. And um, I think Walter looks really rough there. Uh, there's, there's a lot of makeup and stuff, but he's, he, he definitely is not at his best there. And we were really worried, like, whether he was going to be able to pull it off. Like, whether he was going to be able oh, to do wow. it. But he's, He's such a show. He was such a showman that mm-hmm. when it was like, of course I'm going to do it, and he gathered every ounce of energy he had in him, and got into that chair. And, and there's there's a moment in the film right before he kind of comes out of the curtain, where you see the kind of sparkle and he, there's he's he's nervous, he's energized, he's excited, and then there's this kind of sparkle, this shift in his expression right as he comes out and you know that he's just tapped into that place. Um, and, and it, it really was mesmerizing. Uh, but you know, what's equally was as beautiful for us is how much it meant to everybody who was there. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how excited people were and how overjoyed they were by it. Because I think that Walter, for a, a lot of people, for a lot of us, I put myself in this, you know, connects to these, things in our, our past, our childhood, whether our time with our grandparents and with our grandmothers in particular, he hearkens to like another era in our lives when times are simpler. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, he does emote such love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, it really was a magical uh, moment. And I'm glad he had that because Walter hated to talk about that. He didn't talk mm-hmm. about dying. We were with him six weeks before he passed. And, you know, he was still talking about things he was going to do next year. When it was very evident that the end was near, uh, he still, you know, he didn't talk like that. But I think the fact that he, uh, I think the fact that he had that moment kind of let, let him know that he was able to kind of go in peace. Yeah. I wish almost everyone would have a moment like that. It's really, really so beautiful. Um, let me ask you about the moment Lynn manuel was in it. And, and uh, when you were just talking about how, you know, it meant, a lot to it probably meant so much to work um with him and uh with not with lynn but with walter and then to you know see him have that moment watching lynn um what, i guess i'm on a first name basis uh uh kind of have that 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 moment and him tearing up when he was meeting him um and were you were in the room there that was really really something yeah not only am i in the room it's one of my my biggest mistakes <laughs> yeah. of the film yep. is that i actually as soon as the door as Lynn walks in, I'm in the hallway and I'm like pushed up against the wall. That's me. Yep. Oh, and no, it still that's the okay. shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Just, I'm such yeah. a fan so, like anyone else. And just seeing them together was really, really special. It, it really was. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was as special for both of them. I mean, Walter was, um, Walter was not feeling well before that. Oh. Um, and, um, it was really difficult. And in fact, um, we weren't able to shoot with him the day before because he was not, he was feeling so unwell. And then we got the call that Lynn wanted to meet him 
And um, again, true to Walter, he pulled in every ounce of energy and got himself there because he was such a Lynn fan. And it's such a such a wonderful thing was to see them in the room together being such fans of one another. And what's really great about that moment is that, you know, Lynn transforms from, you know, one of the biggest celebrities in in in, in the country, in the world maybe, mm-hmm. to just another fan. Just a fanboy. Absolutely. He's, just, he's <laughs> such a fanboy. Yeah. And it means so much for him. And he becomes basically the avatar for us as the filmmakers and for, yeah. I think, a well big put. big part of the audience because mm-hmm. it's like his experience was the same experience everyone else had yep. of like watching it with his grandmother, the, you know, being shushed in until Walter said what he said <laughs> and the memories of his grandmother that it brought back mm-hmm. and the significance of being, particularly as being like a young Latino person, seeing another Latino be so successful and so different from everything else on Latin television. So it was a, uh, it was really remarkable for both of them. I think it, it filled them with so much energy. Lynn has been so supportive of the film and loved Walter. Lynn, you know, Lynn was in Puerto Rico or came into Puerto Rico and, and went to the funeral, went to Walter's oh. funeral very, very early oh. in the morning oh. before it was open to the mm-hmm. public. Mm-hmm. And, um, without any fanfare, Tim yeah. wise and his, um, his parents went to the funeral. Um, yeah, it was so um, cool. it was such a great moment. It's such a great moment. Yeah. And I think people people are so excited. Um, people have been so excited uh, to see that, and it says so much. You know, from a film perspective, I also think it helps us because people realize that. Well, here's this guy who I don't know of, mm-hmm. but here's this other guy that's super famous that I know, and if this super famous guy is so excited about this guy. Maybe there is something here that I should be paying attention to. I think it helps us in a, in a way in our pitches and in yeah, getting more totally. traction for the film. Absolutely, I'm sure. Um, so I could just think of what I walked away with uh, after seeing Mucho um, Mucho More with uh, just kind of like the beauty of staying true to yourself, all that positivity. But I was just wondering what you, um, you thought. What would be your hope people would kind of take from Walter's story? You know, there's really so much. I, I, I I'm asked yeah, this question often, and loaded. I think about it. Yeah, it really is. It really <laughs> is. And I, I, I've been asked it a lot, and I think about it a lot. And I feel like my answer changes because there's so much there. But mm-hmm. I think that if anything, um, and everybody can walk away with something different, I think that's also okay, right? Yep. So, um, but I'll tell you what, being myself on the other side of this process of this uh, three years and, and that it took to make the film and, and amazing time we spent with Walter. Walter was, um, he was the epitome of one of these people who was always himself, mm-hmm. um, who just, you know, lived in his own skin and cherished it and uh, owned it. He created his own happiness. Um, and he, you know, he, 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 one of the most remarkable things was that Walter didn't leave space in his life for negativity. There just was not space or time. His nieces would always tell us that when they were, when they were young, when they would go through something, a breakup or hardship, he would say to them, don't cry now. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, you can leave. We can carve out an hour and you can cry your heart out. But right now, don't cry. Focus on the good things. And you can make time for crying later. And, um, and it's interesting, you know, he, he just, and, and he didn't 
hold those grudges. He didn't hold on to that negativity. You know, as you know, you see in the film, you see the, the, the hardships, both financial and business and physical, that he went through with his relationship with his former manager. And one of the remarkable things about that all is, is that Walter had no room in, in his life for, for anger. He loved Bill. Even, even years afterwards, he only ever had good things to say about Bill. Mm-hmm. He only focused on the positive things. And, to, and I will say to Bill's credit, too, he only had wonderful things to say about Walter. They, they didn't have an animosity towards each other. But, you know, I don't know that I could be that big of a person. I think I would have mm-hmm. been very, very upset if the way that, that went down. Oh, yeah. I would, have, I would have still had a lot of, you know, anger and issues. Mm-hmm. And Walter wasn't that person. So I think... I think it all boils down to is that Walter, you know, he lived his life by this motto, and this is the motto that he imparted to all of us who viewed him mm. for decades and decades on television, which is the most important thing in the world is love, to be loved and to love. And if you live a life based on loving others and yourself, everything is possible. And that's the thing I always come away with, because at, at the root of it all, that seems to be the massive solution. Um, and I hope that others walk away with that. Um, yeah. That's it. No, you nailed it. I was, I was loving and listening to it. No, love, love, love is the answer. Um, it's so great. The film's so great. I'm, I'm so glad to see it being reviewed so well. And I was I just, I, I enjoyed it so much. Cool. Let me, um, I'd love to ask a couple questions about uh, Dolphin Lover because that was a really unique, um, unique film. Um, I was curious, where, where'd you find Malcolm? How'd you, how'd you come upon, you know, crafting that story? Uh, you know, the internet. Um, okay. The reality, uh, I mean, I was in, I just spent a lot of time in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was uh, at a cafe and I was pulling up uh, SF Weekly, which is like their, all, you know, their version of like Village Voice. Yep. And I was looking for things to do. And I, I was looking for things to do in town that weekend. And I saw a article that said, man has sex with often writes novel. <laughs> And so I stopped looking for things to do <laughs> to read that uh, to read that piece, and it was crazy to me. I was like, mm-hmm. "Wait, what?" Mm-hmm. And uh, I instantly like did an internet Google search and hunted him down and sent him a note and said, "Hey, listen, I just read this. Uh, I see you're in San Francisco. I too am in San Francisco right now. I'd love to like have a coffee and talk." And then he he responded probably about an hour later. And said, actually, I'm not in San Francisco anymore. I'm back at my home in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, of course, I thought, like, of course, you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I'm from Florida, but that's where all like <laughs> that's where all the oddball scenarios mm-hmm. are from. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, long story short, I connected with him via email. I said, look, I'd love to talk to you about this. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I think that there's an interesting story to tell here, and um, and uh, I'd love to tell it. And so we had a couple of phone chats and. He was very forthcoming. Uh, my collaborator on that project, my dear friend Joey Dowd and I, we drove up to um, uh, to where he lived, and we, we we rented a meeting room at like a like a day's in or something, and we just met for a couple of hours and talked to him, and and then we went back to his place and chatted some more and said, look, we would love to do a story. Yeah, and and he was great, and he was great, and he was willing to do it. Well, it seemed and, like um, you mentioned yeah. the word forthcoming. Um, it was amazing how unapologetic he was about his his you know feelings towards the dolphin and 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 the whole experience and I my guess is and I'm you know thinking about the, that meeting you had with him 
Is this a story he wanted to tell? It seemed like he really wanted to, he was eager to kind of share his side of this tale or just kind of, he believed in so much of what he was experiencing and, and, you know, in the fact that kind of looking out for zoophiles rights in a way, was he eager to tell this story? He was eager. I think he's always been eager. I mean, and he had written a novel Mm -hmm. um, called Wet Goddess, um, with this, what that initial story was about, he had already written and self-published it at that point. So he and he had been sharing this story for years. I mean, decades actually. Mm-hmm. So he was eager. I think he he always had some apprehension of being um, being ridiculed or treated uh, or, or treated with disrespect. And mm-hmm. in fact, the only thing he ever said to us, the only like caveat was like, "Please don't use like the flipper theme song." Oh, yeah. um, and 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 it's because he had done other interviews and people had done stuff like that, and you know it, it felt cringeworthy to him, and I could understand mm-hmm. that totally. And honestly, that even didn't even cross our mind. Oh, I like, I mean, it was just not you know I don't I don't come to stories because I want to even with people who I don't agree with or mm-hmm. I don't ever want to poke uh, the animal in the cage because there's nothing interesting about that, and it just goes against my ethics. I agree. Um, yeah. But um, <clears throat> so. He was terribly forthcoming. And I have to tell you that that's what interested me about this story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary the experience of the zoophilia because, I mean, I feel like you grew up in pop culture and you've heard a million stories of, like, a farm boy somewhere mm-hmm. or, you know, there's always a, a joke about it. It's like it's not surprising that some people, a small percentage of people, have had sex with animals. Mm-hmm. What really stood out to me was his willingness to talk about it. Yep, me too. Like, you can, you can, it reads and, from the film, yeah. I mean, it's like, if this is who you are, mm-hmm. and you kept it private and quiet because you didn't want to be judged and harassed, I, that makes the most sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know that you're going to be treated as a pariah in society. But he was, you know, he held his truth so strongly that he was willing to put himself out there. And that's, the, that's to me, that's the story. Yeah, there was a real, that's what, that's there, made it. there was a real, real bravery there and, and, and just kind of owning who he was. I'm curious. Have you seen, um, what is it, My Octopus Teacher on Netflix yet? I have not yet. It's, it's on my queue. It's really, um, really good. I there's, haven't um, seen it. There's a moment in it that I, made me think of um, uh, Dolphin Lover where they're actually he's connecting with an octopus, of course. And I, I was listening to, uh, um, on NPR yesterday, the, an interview with uh, the director, and he was, who actually was the one who was connecting with the octopus. And the way he talked about a moment where the octopus actually finally reached out one of its arms and held his arm, it was very, it just kind of like, it was really reminding me of, um, he spoke of it kind of almost in this loving uh, human connection sort of way that really reminded me of uh, Malcolm's story. Um, just one more question on that. I'm curious how, uh, how has it been with the reception of that or how was it when it, when it came out? Because I'm, I'm sure that makes, um, that one makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't make movies to make people comfortable. I, yeah. I, I make movies, hopefully, that make people think. Um, but, it, yeah, no, listen, I, we got Death Threat. Oh, wow. Uh, when we made the film, mm-hmm. we had two or three Death Threats that came through. Yep, damn. Um, but the film was, you know, it was, it was, it was also like a viral sensation in that it got tons of press. Um, Malcolm was on Howard Stern, um, with the film, Rush Limbaugh said that we were contributing to the decay of, Amer- of the fabric <laughs> of, of American society, which is 
you know, a badge of honor for me. I was going to say, that's, um, that would be awesome. That's, that's, yeah, I'd yeah, I, that with pride. I was like, okay, I've mm-hmm. made it. I've made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the audience, you know, we did tour festivals with it. Malcolm only ever came to one screening in Sarasota, which is only a few hours away from his, uh, where he lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that screening, uh, was a weird screening that had been programmed as in like a horror, a late night horror block. Oh, weird. Um, which is just, odd uh i thought and um and and it was like a midnight show or an 11 o'clock show and some people were a little too um it, that was just some aggressive questions or impolite questions and i had to jump in to cut those off but mm-hmm. in general i think that uh it was fascinating most people were most people in person um were fascinated by the story and went to make sure that they didn't agree with it but mm-hmm. that they empathized yeah. Uh, of course, of course, on the internet it's completely different because the internet can be an awful place. Yeah, that's um, what happens. But uh, the yeah, that's exactly what happened on the internet. Yeah. Every once in a while, my my, my buddy Joey, uh, who made the film with me, will send me uh, a link uh, or a screen grab of like the most recent comment on the YouTube video. <laughs> um, but you know, it's had like at this point, it's been ripped and reposted by people. There's like two or three million views on that short. Wow. Uh, so it is, it's fascinating. Say I what they will say. People are yeah. fascinated by it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched cherry pop last night. That's fascinating too. I'm actually eager. I'm going to show my daughter. She loves cats as well, but all your stories, they're so fascinating. I love, um, I love that you're telling some of these stories that kind of, you know, kind of lie in the shadows, but need to be told. And, uh, celebrating these oddballs and people that are different maybe i don't even like the word oddballs people that are different and um celebrating those differences it's 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 really great i love i love the work i'm i'm excited to see what you do next and uh uh thank you so much for for coming on here and uh talking about you know your upbringing and uh all your work no thank you so much for chatting with me and for watching the film most importantly because that's like the, the the thing I appreciate the most is, uh, is, is there's a million different options of things that you could be watching and seeing, and it feels like there's only more and more every day. So oh, the yes. fact that you uh, you took the time out to to watch these films uh, uh, means the world to me. And uh, thank you for talking to me and all the really wonderful, insightful questions. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Of course. I appreciate the time. <laughs>